I probably think the the way it should be used is to kickstart some weight loss. So if, when I see patients, it's the hardest thing is getting started, and so. I think it's hard for confidence and things that you're trying things and can't lose weight. Whereas this, I think, can give you give you a good start. But then you've got to incorporate sort of that patterns of eating and, and amounts of eating uh, into your lifestyle long term, so that you can maintain your weight. Hey, Refam. My name's Kate, and welcome back to Keeping It Real, the podcast researching the latest miracle drug, so you don't have to. Today's flavor du jour is Zempic, a diabetes drug that girlies have started using for weight loss. We're going to chat about how it works, if it works, how much it costs in Australia, and look, you'll even get a rant about insidious body image trends free of charge. If you haven't already, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or head over to YouTube if you want to see the recorded version of this episode. Welcome, Dr. Bloom. Thanks for having me. <laughs> to the podcast, Den. So today we're going to talk about Zempic, uh, which is the man of the moment. It's on everybody's lips. Um, so to specify, semaglutide is the drug. So Zempic is the Kleenex, semaglutide is the tissue, oh, I if like you it. will. I like um, it. Do you want to maybe just talk about what exactly it is and what it does? Yeah. So, um, Ozempic, which is what everyone knows it by, is glucagon-like uh, uh, peptide analogue, GLP, and also GLP-1. So, basically what happens, it, it kind of tricks the brain into thinking uh, that you've eaten. So, when you eat, this hormone GLP or GLP-1 are, are released, um, which makes you then think you've eaten. It also releases insulin and so what a Zempic does is, is mimic that. And so what an agonist is, is it binds onto those receptors, receptors so the receptor thinks that hormone has been released. So it makes you feel full, makes you feel like you've just eaten, so it decreases your appetite. Yeah, right. And also just to specify that difference, so a Zempic is just for diabetes um, medication typically. And so they've come out with Wagovi because people are obviously using it for weight loss, this one brand how is it actually used is it like a pill is it a dissolvable so it's actually an injection so it's an injection you take once a week um it would be uh similar like if anyone is diabetic how you would do insulin so it's a very very small needle uh, ironically the similar needle to what we would use for botox um good reference point (laughs) well i mean it like i think in popular culture it it is often referred to as sort of the the botox of weight loss right right um so it's a very very small needle um and you just basically pinch up a bit of skin um usually on your tummy and just go just under the skin which is called subcutaneous um and so obviously each time you use a clean needle and it's just once a week uh, and I haven't used it, but I think you've, you've sort of got to take it around on the same day, around the same time, and right. you can adjust it a little bit, but its uh, aim is to take it about the same time every week. Yeah, right. Um, so Novo Nordisk, who's created this, um, they've recorded globally a 50% increase on their year-on-year sales. Wow. That's looking about 40,000 scripts a week which is a crazy number. We're obviously in the midst of a huge upswing, but weight loss drugs are nothing new. 
I know some of them have been taken off the market because of health effects in the past. How do we know what to expect from Ozempic? Uh, so yeah, there's been lots of drugs. Um, the most, the one of the longest uh, used drugs is duramine, uh, which is also an appetite suppressant but works in different ways. It's actually an amphetamine, but that that's been researched f- sort of for the longest and is known to help, but probably not a great option. A lot of side effects and potentially damage to other organs, liver, pancreas, things like that. Um, there's another one which is sort of a newish one, which is Saxenda, which is also an injection daily, uh, also works as an appetite suppressant but in a slightly different way. Um, look, I think Ozempic, uh, I'm not sure how long it's been, been used for diabetes, but often when there's drugs that have been used for other uh, reasons, they're, they're well-researched in terms of their risk profile. It would seem that this, it's not an addictive drug. It doesn't seem to have any ill effects on other organs. If anything, it, 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 there's a slight improvement in cholesterol and maybe blood pressure. Um, I'm not, not aware of any sort of catastrophic um, organ problems. Um, so I think long-term it's probably going to be around. I mean, based on the figures you've just mentioned, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of money being made in, in obesity medication and obesity in general. So, um, but I think it's safe to safety profile is, is as, as far as we know, pretty um, robust. And what about side effects? I assume with any kind of miracle drug, there's normally some kind of catch. Yeah. So um, just based on its mechanism of action, they're mainly gastrointestinal. So nausea, vomiting, I think, you know, like any drug sort of there's always going to be reported headaches and insomnia and fatigue and all these sort of constitutional type symptoms. Um, But the main ones are gastrointestinal. What about side effects in terms of weight gain after you stop taking the drug? Yeah, so um, it's it's not something that has a long-lasting impact. So um, once you're off it, um, you're going to – Unless you change your patterns of eating long term, um, you know, there's the risk that you're going to relapse and put weight back on. Um, so I'm not sure that's a side effect, but um, yeah, it's not it's not a cure per se that you have it for a month and then you necessarily have a stable weight. You, but it, I probably think the the way it should be used is to kickstart some weight loss so when i see patients uh what i find is that it's the hardest thing is getting started Mm -hmm. and so i think and and it, it, it can be sort of you know it's hard for confidence and things that you're trying things and can't lose weight um whereas this i think can give you give you a good um uh start um but then you've got to incorporate sort of that patterns of eating and, and amounts of eating uh, into your lifestyle long term so that you can maintain your weight. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it's probably, and in that way, then it's only going to work for a certain set of people. Well, I think it is, uh, it's not a cure. Yeah, at, yeah. At, like you still need to um, listen to your body. But it's just hopefully then it's making your body talk to you, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So I think a lot of people, and we heard Professor Brown uh, on a previous podcast talking about obesity as a, almost like as a chronic illness yeah. and, and possibly some neural changes and things which 
uh, change people's set point of, of what their weight is. Um, so hopefully this can help modify that. Um, but yeah, once you stop taking it, um, unless you've changed your behaviour, it's not going to yeah. help. And I mean, I think, okay, we haven't released the Wendy episode yet, but no. trust us, <laughs> um, you know, and she also said that like a lot of people, even after they'd had the stomach ban for like five years, like, oh, I don't need this anymore, I'm fine. Yeah. And then kind of once it was gone, then they put the weight back on and were like, oh, like I was so sure that I wasn't yeah. thinking like that anymore. Look, I think, um, you know, for everyone, uh, weight is just a constant struggle through your life. And yeah. and it you know, it's very different when you're, you know, a teenager, early 20s and how you metabolise things and how active you are compared to, uh, you know, as you get older, it certainly gets way, way harder. Mm. Uh, and so when I see patients, like one of the like telltale things for me when I ask someone how much they weigh and they say, oh, I, I never weigh myself, that that's always a bit of a red flag for me mm-hmm. um, because I, I think uh, – to, to maintain your weight, you need to know your weight. Right. Um, and, um, and I often talk about it, it's kind of like a ratchet. So, you know, if, you know, this year you put on one or two kilos, then it kind of doesn't change, you know, the clothes you're wearing. You kind of feel like, hey, no one says anything to you. Um, not many people notice. But then that kind of then becomes your set weight. Um, and then the next year, whatever, over summer, you, you eat, a, eat again a little bit more and then you put on another one or two kilos and so on and so forth. And then all of a sudden, five years later, you're 10 kilos more than what you were previously. Um, whereas if you're constantly sort of monitoring it, and I'm not trying to encourage people to have a, an eating disorder, but I think you, it's, it's something that you need to be conscious of all the time. In this, there's two very different conversations to be had. I think what's kind of in the media and what we're seeing are those like headlines about like the new Hollywood diet and a lot of speculation about who's taking it and not there's like TikTokers who are like oh like you know I did it I gained some pandemic pounds I just had to lose you know 10 pounds or whatever so mm. this is what I did it was great for that but I was just thinking about it in preparing for this and I would say in like the 15 years since I you know went through high school and everything I started with very like pro anorexia posts or through Tumblr and like and I you know I'd get all of the um exercises at how to get like a thigh gap and like everything mm. was about like obsessively exercising in your room so you could like do sit-ups and star jumps so that like even when you weren't at the gym you're still doing more like that was very much when I was mm. like year seven eight what mm. it was then it kind of went to you should have like Big bum, big boobs, but still a flat tummy. So it was the detox tease. Difficult balance. A very, <laughs> some might say, impossible without surgical yeah, intervention. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, you know, it's like, and you don't know that as a teenager. And if you think that that's actually how people's, like, bodies look, like, you don't have that level of discernment. But it was like, so you're getting sold, like, fit teas and detox teas, the relaxative and waist trainers and, like, the chokehold that had on women like everyone at my school used to take those detox teas which would ultimately like stuff up your metabolism right like you're not meant to give yourself diarrhea multiple times a day but like that's what was being sold on social media then it kind of went to um fitness you know like strong is sexy and so then it was like you were still meant to be lean and muscular but like at the gym lifting big weights i went to that and now it's kind of come like just within that 15 year thing Mm. we've now gone back to that like heroin chic like up and Mm. down no curves 
And so I, I do see why the headlines are like, oh, you know, this is the trajectory because time is a flat circle. Like it's the exact same look and messaging. And even now on like my TikTok, I get served very like pro-anorexia, pro-eating disorder things. Mm. I can see where the concern is mm. in the kind of coverage of it. Look, I, I think probably it's unlikely that a Zempic is, is going to lead to – I, don't, I think you know chronic eating disorders. Um, it, it's it's merely an appetite suppressant. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, but and, I and also prohibitively expensive. <laughs> if you only weigh sixty kilos yeah. and you're skinny and you think you're fat and then you're yeah. using Ozempic, sure. I don't think Ozempic would cause it by any means. Yeah. But like, it is a tool if you already have disordered eating or a tendency towards a body image issues yeah. or whatever. I mean, I mean, one thing I suppose that hopefully will be a, a, a gatekeeper towards that is that it, it is a prescription drug. Yeah, yeah. So um, so someone would have to get a script for it. It is expensive. It's not, and, um, it's not super easy to get, um, particularly at the moment, um, as opposed to some of those other things that you're talking about which were over-the-counter and easily accessible. Yeah, so. I do think – I mean, whatever. I've, the, a lot of the reporting is American, which is not – the shining example of a healthcare system. No. Um, and so they, you know, people, they were getting it very easily because it's a cash grab, right? So there's a lot of like compound pharmacists. There's a lot of people yeah. doing backdoor things. People like the journalist that I read, you know, she put in, she had a BMI of 30, but then they did like a face-to-face thing. She obviously wasn't. She was yeah. like, and like, they don't care, right? Sure. Or, or like sometimes she wouldn't even lie and was like, oh, I just have some post-baby weight. And they're like, no worries. Right. So there is a very easy thing. But yeah, like what about Australia is always going to be harder to get prescription drugs yeah. than America. Although, I mean, through COVID, um, those online uh, consultations and online prescribing has really taken off that's become a Mm. massive industry here so potentially there is some risk and hopefully the regulators are are onto it and um and it's used for what it's intended intended to but as with we know with big pharma and we've seen with pain meds and we've seen with lots of other drugs um when there's money involved there's usually they they generally can find a way to broaden the indications so it becomes easier to prescribe and I think obviously that's the other conversation from that is it being used – well, not is it, but like the fact that it does exist for a reason. It is for obesity. Um, you know, we're talking a lot about the fact – I think so much of the coverage is like, oh, now diabetics can't get it, which I should stress is because they – not a short supply of medicine. It's the actual injector thing that it comes in. They're oh, not okay. producing enough of. Right. So that's actually where the sh- supply issue is. Plenty of drugs. Yeah, 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 apparently. Um, so there's been like a lot of talk that, you know, if you're using it for weight loss, you're taking away from the diabetics, which yeah. isn't necessarily true. I, at I'm all. not sure Ozempic is is currently the main stream treatment for type 2 diabetes. So there's been – there are lots of drugs. The most common one is metformin, um, which is completely different drug. But people also do use it – in an anti-aging weight loss way, uh-huh. um, that would be the more standard treatment for um, diabetes, type two diabetes. What does that do? How does it work? Yeah, you like is it the same? Got me there. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not a diabetes expert. Uh, what? Get off the podcast. I, 
<laughs> I could be wrong, but I, I think it maybe helps with insulin secretion. I could be don't. I guess I'm pretty. No one fair, quote me. No guess. one quote me. <laughs> and, and you know there are people that were talking about taking it and how it's helped. And some of the quotes I saw, um, one person was saying, "No wonder skinny people think he- heavy people have no willpower. Their brains actually do tell them to stop eating." I had no idea. And like somebody else was like, "Oh, it's basically a place to signal my body has been missing my whole life." And from that angle, I was like, I'm like, that's so interesting because, you know, I do think it's probably a lot of stock in that statement that, again, if it's, you know, it might only be work while using it, but if it is actually being used for its intended use, then, Mm. like, maybe the messaging is a bit different from what we're, like, actually getting about a certain famous family changing their body shapes type of thing. Yeah. No, I think – I mean, definitely people are built differently. I mean, you, you know, mm. you only need to go out for dinner with a group of people and, you know, you, there's always – there. Are, you know, people have different eating habits. Um, so presumably that's – there are different drivers and there's different parts of the brain, the hypothalamus and pituitary glands and all these sort of parts of the brain that I didn't study too much, but um, <laughs> they, they, they all – But you can pronounce them, which is I, very impressive. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, but they all can control – they control a lot of hormones and which can um, impact maybe, for want of a better term, what your set point is as your your base weight. Because you, you sort of see some people and like, it doesn't matter what they eat, they're like always the same weight. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then some people you know, maybe don't eat quite as much, but they are they tend to be bigger. But Yeah, which is why I think it's so – whenever anybody is like, oh, but this diet's great, I'm like, how can you recommend for anybody? It's like everybody's body works so differently, even like through gender, through race, but like through any kind of yeah. personal experience. It's like there's no way for you to be like, this has worked for me and therefore yeah. this will also work for you. I think that's an important message and um, I think in terms of – I don't like to talk in terms of – um, diet. I, I talk more in, when I'm talking to patients in terms more of lifestyle, mm. um, and you, you certainly do need to find something that works for you. So I know what works for me, um, and um, yeah, you, know, you don't just you know do nothing to be as slim. Mm. And I was going to say, have you found out what that is yet? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the bottom line is, you you need to find something that works for you and your yeah. lifestyle. Um, and, you know, I mean, the work you do impacts how easy it is to have meals. It's pretty hard for me during the day when I'm operating to have a, you know, to have a healthy meal. And often in the hospitals, they've got junk food like party yeah. pies and stuff like that. Very easy to walk in the tea room and um, uh, chuck down, you know, five party pies. My, so I do in the spirit of investigative journalism. Yes. I do have a friend who is, is actually taking semaglutide. Um, right. This is one person. Take it with a grain of salt. She's not a doctor. Just anecdotal. Um, but so she got it from her GP about three months ago um, because according to her BMI, she put her in the obese category, which um, made it pretty easy for her to get uh, mm-hmm. from her GP. I don't think it was a huge palaver. Um, she she said she's had, you know, the aim of losing about 20 kilos. Mm-hmm. In the three months she's been taking it, she's lost six which, like, is – because she was like, it's nothing. But I think we're a little bit ruined by the biggest loser and we think yeah, that, like, we should sure. be losing huge amounts all the time. But anyway, so she kind of – she just wanted to stress that it's not the miracle drug right. it's being painted as. She says, you know, when she eats healthily, 
and she works out a lot, she loses the weight. Yeah. If she kind of goes out, even if – because it obviously keeps you full of full and gut, you don't want to eat as much. Yep. So, But if she goes out, she's still not eating as much. But if she's going out and eating that kind of food or she's drinking, she won't lose any weight. Like it is very much yeah. a like in tandem thing. I would say much like almost anything you hear about is always like in conjunction with a healthy diet and exercise. Mm. Um, she said what it has done for her has kind of changed her relationship with food. Yeah. It's not just like this thing that consumes her anymore. She's not constantly thinking about food when she's going to have it next. Like mm -hmm. she just doesn't have that kind of like pull and desire to it. So she's, she's eating, but she, yeah, she gets fuller a lot quicker. She eats a lot less. Um, but it's not this thing where she's always like, oh, what am I going to eat next? What am I going to eat next? Mm. She, um, I asked if she had any side effects and she said that, um, like she felt a bit nauseous at the beginning, but that's really about it. Now she, that kind of, because you get, stay fuller for longer, if you do like overindulge even a little bit, you get that like feeling where you're so full, you feel mm. sick, but it lasts for ages because yeah. you're like not really like kicks you're not like metabolizing through it or like whatever at least to your brain again not a doctor um she kind of she plans to be on it for 12 months wow which i asked her if the gp had said anything to her about long-term effects and she didn't the reason she's choosing that is because of what we discussed with the elusive dr wendy brown um about how when people lose a lot of weight they can you know it stimulates them being really, really hungry. So I think she's trying to do it in an effort to stop that so that her body is, like, used to the weight loss. But, again, I think there's – Well, her, her challenge is mm. really going to be – is, as we were saying before, is going to be to maintain those habits and that relationship with food yeah. after she's off the yeah. medication. Um, I mean, all, of, all this is really doing is helping people – um, it's kind of like I suppose glasses for sight. Mm. It's it, it it like it's just an aid. Yeah. Um, I also have a friend. Yeah. <laughs> and he's doing what he refers to as the OMAD diet. Right. So he he's been having uh, one meal a day, and mm. um to to kickstart, and for him that's working because why is it called the OMAD diet? One meal a day. Oh, I was like, is his name Omet? <laughs> <laughs> um, so for him that works. Right. Um, but again, the challenge for him, as I keep trying to explain to him, mm. you're going to have to transition to being a normal person again yeah. and eating and, and, and being in control. Yeah. Um, but he's got a target that he wants to get to. Mm. So he's going more not on time, mm -hmm. but on once he gets to a threshold where he feels comfortable. Right. Um, and then he's going to sort of um, – uh, start introducing more regular meals, which is going to be interesting because I've told him I, I think it's not going to impact it. Mm. I think his his weight loss gains will will continue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, no dietitian, but I don't think that's the best approach. Um, oh, it, and it also, is, it is a strategy. People, people for it a short term, a strategy. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, it is. I know we're talking about the fact it was expensive, but she told me it's about $450 for a three-month course. So that is something, obviously, just so you guys have the insight. Um, it's also worth highlighting. So the drug manufacturers that make it, Novo Nordisk, and there's also Eli Lilly, 
they have at least 12 obesity weightless drugs in the mm. anti-obesity they call it in the works they spent <coughs> well just novo spent a hundred million dollars last year advertising ozempic wow so if you feel like everyone's on it there's a lot of ad spend designed to make you feel like everyone's on it. And I would hazard a guess that all of the editorial things that we have about yeah. who's on it in the red carpet, you've got celebrity endorsement that the celebrities never have to confirm or deny. They lose a lot of weight. And I would say that these guys are doing a very clever marketing scheme and okay. piggybacking on that. So that is also worth taking in. Um, they've also, they're paying $10 million to lobby the US government like together, there's a lot of money in this. Um, and, I, you know, it's not going anywhere. Weight Watchers as well has acquired a telehealth place that's known for um, doing a lot of GLP-1. Yeah, GLP-1 drugs. Um, I don't want to get sued, but you can assume what, what that's going to look like if you're in that kind of symbiotic, mutually beneficial relationship. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think just very, very interesting. I think um, we've just played into their little game um, for free. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I do, I think, and the fact, you know, that all these other um, weight loss drugs that we have have very heavily since like the 50s at least mm. been an amphetamine-based drug. It is interesting to see how it's kind of like changing and evolving. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Look, I mean, there, there, obviously there's going to be a lot of money in, in weight loss, always has been. Like, you know, you go back to the Atkins diet and like yeah. every single diet um, that, that has been around for many, many years. Um, but on the flip side, it, it is a chronic disease as well. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of um, health benefits to being at a healthy weight. Um, there's a lot of chronic disease associated with being overweight. So... Um, I can like you can understand the interest in um, in trying to develop something that can help people on that journey. Yeah. Um, but as as with anything, it's uh, you know you need to do your research and work out what's best for you. And and this is probably not going to be the long term answer for you, for anyone. Yeah. If you liked this episode of Keeping It Real, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, why don't you have a flick through our past episodes? We'd love to hear requests for future topics, so send your suggestions through to us on IG at Replastic Surgery. That's all for today, and we'll catch you next time for another peek into the world of plastic surgery.